We return this afternoon to John 20, looking at the last portion of the passage, 19 through 31, page 1077. Saw the evidences inside the tomb that Jesus had risen. We read about Jesus personally meeting Mary, revealing the risen Lord revealing himself to her. And she says, I have seen the Lord to the disciples. And now we're on Sunday evening, Easter evening. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, that's eight inclusive, so next Sunday, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. We want to focus on verse 24 in the context there of the two Easter evening or Sunday evening meetings. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. This is God's word and may he bless us, congregation, and build us by it. Brothers and sisters, that's the question that I want to ask this afternoon. Where's Thomas? In Christ's Easter evening encounter with the disciples, where's Thomas? The focus here isn't really on the doubting Thomas, however. It's on a merciful Christ. A merciful risen Jesus revealing himself to Thomas 
and the other disciples and to us, giving additional evidences of his resurrection, additional proofs that our faith in him today might be built up through his witness to them. That's why this witness is written down. He read in verses 30 and 31. Where's Thomas? We see the risen Christ shows mercy to doubting Thomases on the first and second Easter evenings. Shows mercy to absent Thomas. First we look at absent Thomas and absent Thomases. Then to unbelieving Thomas and Thomases, absent, unbelieving. And then thirdly to obedient Thomas and Thomases. He shows mercy to absent Thomas, unbelieving Thomas, and obedient Thomas. And that reminds us of what Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. So, the risen Christ shows mercy to a Thomas who was absent from the twelve on Easter evening. Look at verse 19. On the first, or in the evening of that day, the first day of the week, it says Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, we don't know how he came into the room. Did he pass through the walls with his resurrection body? Did he miraculously open the locked door and step right in to their midst? We're not told, but he came in and he pronounced, this is amazing, peace. Now, why did you forsake me? Why did you deny me? When I died, why did you despair and give up on me and decide all hope was gone? Why? No, no. Peace. Isn't that amazing? Grace. Peace. And then he proved his resurrection to them by showing them his hands and his side. It's not just Thomas, right, that needs that. He's not the only doubter. Again, I believe we, I have given him a bad rap when maybe... Maybe we shouldn't so much. Thomas isn't the only one who needs to see in order to believe. Remember John saw the grave close earlier. He stepped inside after Peter and then he also saw the headcloth. And when he saw that, he believed. He saw and believed. And now... He already knows Jesus has risen, but he could use this confirmation as well by seeing now Jesus. And we read, the disciples responded in faith. They were glad when they saw the Lord. And then, verse 21, Jesus gave them a great commission. He said to them again, peace be with you, a double peace. In case you're wondering whether I still accept you after all that's happened, double peace. Then the Great Commission, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. That's the Great Commission in the fourth gospel. 
God sent me to create salvation. I'm sending you now to proclaim salvation. That's not all he gave them. He added a pre-Pentecost sign that he would empower them for their task. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit was not poured out at this moment. It was a sign physically breathing on them. As a a demonstration of what's going to happen in the near future when he's going to not just give them a task as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, but he's going to empower them for that task. It's a promise. Then he gave them the message of the Great Commission, verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The gospel is the power of the keys of the kingdom. Power to open the kingdom of heaven to those who believe and declare them forgiven. And the power to close the kingdom of heaven to those who do not believe and declare them unforgiven. What a power. What a power is given to the church and the proclamation of the gospel to you who believe your sins are forgiven if you don't believe they're not and that's how the kingdom advances that's how it cuts through the world but that leads us to our main focus verse 24 somebody's missing where's Thomas we know where Judas is He's taken his own life. But where's Thomas? Now Thomas, one of the 12, that's very deliberate. One of the team, one of the group. Is not with the group. He's called the twin. He's not with them when Jesus came. And we have a pretty good idea why he wasn't with them. He was likely not at a grandmother's birthday party or likely did not have a bad toothache. Because these verses tell us that he was in the mode of unbelief. He was in a state of personal spiritual devastation. He's referred to as one of the twelve. This is the team that Jesus chose to go with him, to follow him, to seek his kingdom. And he's not one, he's not with the team. He didn't join the team of Christ that Sunday. Why not? Doubt has different sources. Sometimes ignorance of the truth can cause doubt when we don't have a proper grasp of the promises of God or of the faithfulness of God. Ignorance can lead to doubt. Sometimes doubt is caused by moral choice. You don't want Jesus. He's going to disrupt your life. You like your life the way it is. So you find excuses. You make up objections to the faith so you don't have to follow him. A systematic skepticism because you don't want to believe in him. Sometimes doubt is caused by moral choice. Or thirdly, sometimes doubt is caused by spiritual neglect. You get caught up in a lifestyle of not reading your Bible, not praying, skipping church a lot, 
allowing bitterness to grow, allowing lust to grow in your life. And pretty soon you're plagued by many doubts and a life of spiritual uncertainty where you're just not sure about anything when it comes to the faith. It can be caused by spiritual neglect or doubt can be caused simply by growing mature in your faith where you're moving from believing because your parents told you to believing it for yourself. That's a move that God calls you to make as we grow up. And that can lead to some doubt as we wrestle to make the faith our own. But there's another kind of doubt rooted in deep religious disappointment. You got burned. The church hurt you. A religious leader failed you. Somebody you looked up to got exposed as a fraud. That was the condition of those two men, disciples on the road to Emmaus that Jesus met on Easter Sunday. They said, we had hoped he was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. He disappointed us. He shattered us. Our dreams are dead. It's a farce. We got fooled. It wasn't real. And people who who have these deep religious disappointments, they doubt whether Christianity is, is real at all. And they give up on the church. They stay away. They stop meeting. And that seems to be where Thomas is at. I ate with him. I talked with him. I walked with him. I hung on to his every word for three years. I trusted him. I believed him. I watched him cast out demons. I watched him heal the sick, raise the dead. I gave my life to him. I thought he was the one. And he failed me. He's dead. He's a failure and a fraud. And what a waste of three years. And I'm so ashamed. And Thomas seems to be somewhere in this kind of a dark place on the Easter evening encounter of Christ with his disciples because the passage clearly connects his absence with his unbelief. Clearly connects his absence with his unbelief. To his disappointment and doubt about Jesus. And it could be that even though you're not one of these 12, that you may be in such a place, disappointed with God, disappointed with Christ, disappointed with Christianity, disappointed with the church. That disappointment has thrown you into deep doubt. Where can you go? What should you do? You really want to leave it all behind? Is there any way out of this darkness that Thomas is in? Yes. You need to go to the source, to the light, to the one you think disappointed you and realize that he hasn't. People may. Christ may seem to disappoint you and not keep his word, but he always comes through. And he proves it 
always comes through. In fact, there's no one reliable, ultimately reliable, besides the Christ. We meet absent Thomas, or we don't meet him. Then unbelieving Thomas, that's where we meet him. Jesus shows mercy first to a Thomas who was absent the first gathering. He shows mercy to unbelieving Thomas. And I love how, look at verse 24, 25. The other disciples immediately go after Thomas to call him back to Christ and back to faith. Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Come on. It's a good example for us to reach out to all disappointed followers of Christ. Go and see if there's an open door. Go and call them back to the light, to the source. They have such good news to share. We have seen the Lord, but Thomas is not going to jump onto their resurrection bandwagon so easily. He's adamant. Verse 25, unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will Never believe. Jesus is very clear with Thomas. He is unbelieving. Be not disbelieving, but believing. He is unbelieving. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Again, the way of counting days for the Jews always included the day they were starting with. So eight days means one week later, the following Sunday. Already in the New Testament, a pattern of meeting together on the first day of the week on Sundays is being established. And then look at those words at the end of verse 26, and Thomas was with them. Can't you feel the excitement in the room? Thomas is here. Maybe the Lord Jesus will show up again in our midst and reveal himself to Thomas. Anticipation. And Thomas was with them. It's like a family member wandered from the faith, disappointed with Christ or the church and hasn't been in church for a long time. I know this is not a long time, but it's a comparison and then comes to church with you on a Sunday. And sure enough, 26, it happens again. It's a reminder, the best place to encounter the Christ is in the gathering of his disciples. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace again? The you is plural. Thomas too? And then in great mercy, the Lord immediately 
turns his attention directly to Thomas and offers him exactly what he demands. Put your finger here. See my hands. Come on, put out your hand. Place it in my side. Realize the humility for him to stretch out his hands, move aside his robe to expose his side. That's mercy. And then a command, do not disbelieve, but believe. Christ commands faith, beloved. It's a gift. But it's also a command. Believe. And if you're in a dark spot like Thomas, a place of doubt and disappointment, you got to act. Don't choose to stay there. And don't stay there by default either. By doing nothing about unbelief, because then you'll harden in it. Do not disbelieve, Thomas. But believe, you got to make a choice. Now, sometimes we abuse that wonderful truth that faith is a gift of God, and then we hide under that as an excuse for not believing. I haven't been given the gift. It's not been given to me. That's God's business. That's God's work to give you faith and give you the power to believe. It's your task to believe. Like you can't get out of bed in the morning either without God's work, but you do it and God gives you the strength. So also if you believe, God will give you the strength. Spurgeon wrote, What's a man's warrant then for believing in Christ? He says, here it is. Christ tells you to believe. That's your warrant. Christ's word is the warrant of the sinner for believing in Christ. Not what you feel. Not what you are or what you are not. That's not the warrant. But what Christ has told you to do. So don't be afraid and do not be unwilling. God will give you what you need as you obey his call. Just like Jesus says to the man with the withered arm, stretch out your hand. He didn't say, I can't. He stretched out his hand. He obeyed. The Lord gave him the power. He gives us the power as we obey the command. So he gives him this command. Do not disbelieve, but believe. But in his kindness and patience, he also offers him what he demands. Unless, remember the demand, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, 
and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Here, Thomas, put out your hand. Touch the nail prints. Touch my side where the sword pierced me. Let me prove to you that I have risen. And he stoops to the weakness and the needs of this skeptic and overcomes Thomas's unbelief. And it's a wonderful, merciful encounter with the Christ. This is the work of God. And whether Thomas actually touches him, we don't know. But what humility of Jesus put out his hands and open his robe to show himself to Thomas. And Thomas makes this astounding confession of faith, my Lord and my God. And now we see how Jesus thirdly ministers to and through obedient Thomas. First absent Thomas, unbelieving Thomas, now obedient Thomas. Thomas obeyed the command, do not disbelieve but believe. Spurgeon writes, He made a splendid leap from the depths of doubt to the firm rock of confidence with two blessed mys, my Lord, my God. He grasps Christ with both hands and in two grand words, he pictures him, my Lord and my God. And brothers and sisters, this testimony about Christ, my Lord and my God, has been a huge blessing to Christians and skeptics over the last 2,000 years. As Jesus ministers to us through his merciful ministry to Thomas, you see the power of the risen Christ? Overcoming Thomas's doubt and unbelief, entering into his life, and Thomas became one of the great missionaries of the early church going all the way to India and becoming a martyr for the faith, proclaiming the glorious gospel of Christ. The oldest church building on the face of the earth right now is in southern India. Thomas helped build it. The whole thing isn't there anymore, but a portion of it, one of the Martoma churches. My Lord and my God, what the Lord does through faith. What Jesus says next is really important and often misunderstood. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Some think Jesus is rebuking Thomas for looking for a sign, needing a sign. He should have just believed without the evidence. That's not true. Jesus Christ gave them the evidence, physical evidence, and their special position as eyewitnesses. And then to write that down and pass along that evidence to us so we can believe on the basis of The evidence they saw and wrote down for us. We're blessed by it. They're in a unique spot. These 11 disciples as eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Jesus showed Thomas and John and Peter and the other disciples. First Corinthians also says about 500 other people. Eyewitness 
evidence of his resurrection so they could spread that news to us. Because you see, soon Jesus would no longer be available. In 40 days, he was going to ascend. And then the possibility for eyewitness is gone. So he gave that to them. And at the end of John 20, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written. So also these evidences are written. Like what happened to Thomas. That's written down. Why? So that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We need this evidence. Because faith isn't a leap leap in the dark. It's not like they believed on the basis of the evidence. You guys are going to have to believe without evidence. Sorry. For you, it's a leap in the dark. A shot into the unknown. No. No. Faith is based on evidence. For us is for them. The evidence they saw and wrote down. Jesus is risen from the dead. The ultimate sign is true. And that's how John, the apostle, opens 1 John. Remember? He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes... We've looked upon, we've touched with our hands. John was, got to be at the front line of that eyewitness evidence concerning the word of life. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you. We touched him, we saw him, we heard him. That's what makes us apostles, and now we pass that along to you. Believe. Believe. And if you do, you'll have fellowship with the Father and the Son as we do. Peter has, says the same thing. It's really interesting in Acts 10 when he's preaching to Cornelius the Gentile and his household. It was too late for Cornelius to see and touch Jesus. Jesus was in heaven by then. But notice what Peter says. Listen carefully. Peter says to Cornelius, and we are witnesses of all that Jesus did. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day, and listen, and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. God made him appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen to be his witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and now he's commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So they believed because of what they saw. That was their task. But blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's those who come after the apostles. And he commands us not to be unbelieving, but to be believe based on this testimony and let this testimony sink into your heart, shatter your unbelief so you can rise up and say, my Lord and my God, and by believing have life in his name and go out like Thomas. You don't have to go to India, but into your workplace, 
into your trouble, into your schooling, into your family life, into all God is calling you to do, into your sickness. And know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, my Lord and my God. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And through faith, he'll give you radical boldness to be an ambassador for Christ wherever he calls you. And one day, a new Easter Sunday will come upon us where all the graves over the world are open and emptied. And that what happened on Easter Sunday will happen specifically to all who believe in Jesus. Your bodies will conquer death, will rise, and you'll breathe and see and walk and talk again and be with the Lord and be like him, strong, pure, immortal, glorious. And those who are still living, transfigured to enter into that same blessed glory. Do not be disbelieving, but believe. Amen. Father, thank you for the long trail of evidences your son left behind for us with the apostles. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for John and for Mary and for Peter and for the rest of the disciples. And then again, for Thomas. Because we need those eyewitness reports so we can believe. So help us to believe. Help us to step out in faith. To embrace Christ with both hands and say, my Lord and my God. And settle with your power in our lives to go out and be bold and faithful ambassadors of Christ. We look forward to that day when the final Easter will come. And you'll raise up all your children Immortality. In Jesus we pray, amen.